You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another Flip My Funnel episode. And this podcast has been just growing like crazy. And one of the reasons it's growing is because we have people that are doing Tuesday and Thursday takeovers. So today, I'm really excited to introduce Barb uh, Mosher Zink. She is running her own podcast called Content Matters. And it's a really, really good podcast. And she's interviewing some ridiculously good people in content. So if you're in content, you got to listen to this whole series. So Barb, welcome to the Flip My podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, Barb, share a little bit about your podcast and the type of people you're interviewing in this series. So the Content Matters podcast is a podcast that looks at all aspects of content from, especially from the marketing side, but also from like technical documentation, like how all of, how it works to support every kind of group across the company. And I have been really, really fortunate to interview some really great, smart experts. Um, Scott Abel, Ann Hanley, Matthew Sweezy, um, Ian Truscott, um, Jim Edmonds, uh, Kim Mayfield, or Mathley, sorry, I said his name wrong. But um, yeah, there's just, there were so many. I've, we've been going for two years now and it's just, it's just been phenomenal. Fantastic, Barb. I cannot wait to hear this episode. So let's just dive right into it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Content Matters podcast. Um, I'm really excited to have everyone here today. I want to welcome Matthew Sweezy. He's the principal of Marketing Insights at Salesforce. He's also a Forbes contributor, author, and creator of the Electronic Propaganda Society, which is a nine-part miniseries kind of podcast type thing that looks at the failure in the future of marketing. And we might mention that, talk to that when we get in there, but um, I definitely think if you haven't listened to it yet, you need to start. Matthew has, um, he's got a really forward thinking view of marketing and how things are changing to deliver better experiences. So we wanted to get him on the podcast, pick his brain on some of these ideas, and especially those that relate to how we create and manage content and what that means for digital experiences overall. So thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate your being here. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. I am. Um, I've been following you quite a bit lately just because of the stuff that you're saying. And I just, I think you're just, the stuff that you talk about is just so, makes you really think about what you're doing now as a marketer and what you really should be thinking about doing. So I really think this will be a good conversation. Um, in your recent presentation, you did one on the future of marketing. You talked about this idea of direct marketing. So not one to one, but human to human. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around what exactly is the difference and, and why do we not want to do that one-to-one? Why do we want to do a human-to-human instead? Yeah, so great question. So to start, let's just kind of put ourselves in historical context of time, right? So the idea of one-to-one was first proposed in um, you know, the best-selling book, The uh, Future of One-to-One by Don Peppers and Martha Rogers. That was the year is 1993. Right. And so the whole concept of this book is really kind of based around the first real technology to allow uh, one brand experience to be sent to one individual in real time. Right. And, and that was a technology called Siebel, um, which is kind of what en- enabled that. Right. So that's 1993. 
Moving forward, what we've realized is the media environment has radically changed since then. And it's opened up this world where we've moved past this idea that media is about publication and we've realized that media is about engagement, right? So if we think about what the foundational aspects of our environment are, right? Social media, all modern media, right? There are more people in the world with the ability to create, consume, and engage with each other than there ever has been in the world, right? This is a a radical media revolution. And with that, we must realize that marketing is a game that we play based on the the environment that it operates within. So at the point in time, 1993, the highest highest level of apex or of context we could get to was one-to-one. But what we now see is that we can go past one-to-one. That's not to say that we give up on the idea of one-to-one. It's still better than a whole lot of things. Right. But we can go past that to a new apex, which is human to human. And the difference between one-to-one and human to human is simple. Uh, one-to-one is the theory that we create one brand message and send it to one individual at one time, right? That means the brand to an individual outside of the brand. Where human to human is one human to another human, where it's not the brand, but it's two humans taking that, that context and having a conversation between each other, where the brand is helping facilitate that conversation. Um, and so that's the difference. The brand is not involved. It's two humans. That could be an advocate. That could be an influencer. That could be an employee. Um, but it's not the brand itself creating. It's one human talking to another human. Okay. Absolutely makes sense. Um, by the way, I have that book, One-to-One Marketing. It was the first marketing book I ever bought. Um, it's a very interesting book. So um, how do you do that if you're a brand that's just getting started and you don't have kind of that Love that level of loyal customers yet that you need to, to kind of create those kind of experiences? Uh, build them. Build them, I mean, so yeah. The thing is that if you're starting out, you're going to have to pick some type of strategy and way to go. Yeah. Right? And so you could say, all right, let's, let's look at how we grow. And, and by the way, we have to be very specific. When we talk about marketing and growth, we have to put it in context of the goal of the business at the time, right? So if the business is just starting up, and the goal is to get sales, what I would say is, uh, hell yeah, you should be doing one-to-one and human-to-human at the apex because social media gives you that benefit to go directly to anybody for free, right? The, the only limitation of you reaching somebody is your inability to reach out first and say, hey, I've got something of value, i.e. gain permission to contact them and engage with them, right? So it's this idea of we should think about scale specifically when we're starting is how do we scale very specifically and very targetedly um, rather than how do we just create a bunch of things to fill a funnel because it's not a very efficient way of growing. Right. No, that makes sense perfectly. Um, so in, in that mindset then, um, everybody's talking about AI, artificial intelligence, and how we can leverage that to kind of create these better experiences. And it is impacting how we interact with customers and we capture data. Is, is that going to be a big influence in how you do this kind of human-human marketing? Yeah, so I think AI is, is so if we take one step back, right, and, and we all have heard the term that data is the new oil, and I 110% agree, it is the new oil because of the outcomes that it allows to happen, right? It allows us to create a radically different type of outcome than ever before. So when we have a mass amount of data, um, we need to have some way of computing that data, right? Which is what artificial intelligence is. So, you know, we could use the simple if then, right? If data is the oil, then AI is the refinery. 
And so we need to understand that to make these human to human connections, it's going to be impossible, just like it's impossible to do one to one at scale without technology, right? You have to have technology to know what to send, who to send it to, and to be able to execute on that in real time, right? It's programmatic. The same concept of human to human, right? There, There is levels of human to human that you don't need any artificial intelligence. You don't need any technology other than a basic social handle and some abilities to do some basic searching. Um, and you can do a lot of human to human interaction. When we start talking about scaling specifically and looking at this idea of how do we motivate customers across a customer journey, we can then apply this idea of human to human empowered by artificial intelligence to see the next level. And that next level really comes about to saying, all right, we have a limited resource, i.e. we have humans inside of our office and humans outside of our office through advocacy, customers, influencers. How do we maximize those efforts? When we apply artificial intelligence to that to say, who do we talk to? Who do we connect? And what do we connect them around? AI can answer those questions and direct the human capital to maximize that time and that value by knowing exactly who and what to have those conversations around. And we see this working phenomenally in a lot of organizations. And my favorite poster child for this uh, is a company called Backcountry. Uh, So I'm a massive outdoor guy. Currently, my right arm's in a sling um, because I fell off my mountain bike the other day jumping over a stupid wall. Um, (laughs) Anyways, the point is, is I'm I'm a big outdoor guy. I had a snowboarding trip two years ago. And so I bought a couple, I mean, some small items, right? I bought a pair of socks and a pair of gloves. This wasn't even a total of $100. And two days later, my phone rings and I answer it. And it was this guy named Wesley. And he starts off with, hey, I'm Wesley from Backcountry. And I'm like, cool, yeah, I just bought some stuff from you guys. Um, I don't need to buy anything else. Like, why are you calling me? He's like, listen, my job is I'm just, I'm a gearhead. And he told me he's like, he's my gearhead. It's my job to try to help you, you know, just keep up with you, understand what you're doing, um, give you an advice. He's like, you know, I'm an expert. And he starts telling me all the stuff that he does. And we end up having a great conversation just about all the rad stuff that we do. Um, and then Wesley continues to keep up with me, right? So that is my first experience with the gearhead, right? That is human to human. He reached out to me as a human, right? Not trying to sell me anything, but trying to have a conversation about things that we're passionate about, right? Purpose-driven. Right. So from that, I dig into this idea and to see what they do. So I find out, right, I, I get in touch with the company, I start researching. They expect that this human-to-human gearhead program, which now they have over 150 gearheads inside of backcountry, they expect it to drive over $100 million in increased revenue over the coming years. Right? And by the way, they leverage technology. And so digging into this, Um, the the head of the program says, without technology, an individual can manage about 200 relationships. With technology, that human can manage about 10,000 relationships, allowing this idea of human to human to radically scale. And I want to take one step back and say why we really need to focus on human to human, because I'm underplayed this point. If we understand that the media environment and how it operates and what it lets through and, and its focus, Its focus is human engagement and human interactivity. So it elevates any time one human wants to interact with another human. It allows that thing to happen and it elevates it. It's what breaks through, right? If we look at just constant posting and all this other stuff that we try to do, it doesn't break through near as much or or as reliably 
as other human interactions do on those channels. So just a combo effort, right? There's a great yeah. example. This is why it works. So that, that really changes marketing though, doesn't it? To, to stop doing a lot of the stuff that you're doing now or to do less of it and, and shift to this way of doing things, which also costs money and you know have, you have to have people to do this. It, it's definitely going to change marketing dramatically, I would think. 100%. I mean, the, the book yeah. I'm writing, so my, my new book's being published by Harvard Business and it comes out in March uh, called The Context Marketing Revolution. And it's that fundamental point exactly, right? And it's this definition that we have of marketing was created, the, the modern definition was created during the 70s, right? The last golden era of marketing where we get this idea of branding, where we get this idea of marketing is about what we create and our ability to manipulate an individual based on a single creative message. And the reality is, is that's not the greatest idea of marketing. That was the game that we played in a limited media environment, right? And so I proved out that we've entered an infinite media environment, meaning that the largest creators of media are not brands, they're individuals. And what breaks through are these human-to-human interactions actions because the media environment is a radically different one. Meaning if the media environment is radically different, the game we have to play, our idea of what marketing is must become radically different. Uh, And and that's the entire basis, right? So we we forget that marketing changes over time and and what actually dictates why it should change. Um, And the media environment is the number one driver of why and what marketing must be. Okay. So if this, if this is the way we need to move forward and think of things, that changes the, um, that changes the brand website, is, that changes a lot, of, a lot of things. So what, what does that mean for the brand website? Because right now that is what everyone says in marketing is their primary place where they need to present a, a view to the customer. But if you're saying we're going to do it more human-human and we're working it that way, that website, does that become obsolete? No. So, so let's take two steps back, right? So we talk about brand. So I would argue the definition of what brand is, is radically different now than it ever was in the past. The old definition of brand is what the, the business creates and tells the world it wants the world to think about it, right? That was branding. We tell you what our brand is. The modern definition of brand is the sum of all experiences an individual has with you, right? And if we shift that idea and say, well, it's the, the sum of all experiences, that's the definition of what brand actually is. And then we look at this idea of what is the experience of a website, right? So let's be very clear, right? I'm getting very deep on this idea and I want us to think extremely critically. Our websites are, are just simple iterations off of Bill Gates' idea of a graphical user interface, right? A website is a graphical user interface of a brand experience. Now, if we say what is past a graphical user interface, we end up with this notion of conversational interface, right? And so if we look at Alexa, if we look at, by the way, the top four most talked about products of the 2018 holiday season were all voice enabled. Think about that. Google now has over a billion voice enabled devices in the marketplace. What we need to realize is consumers are finding new ways of interacting by a conversation which means the graphical user interface is going to fade away and be replaced by conversational interfaces. This is already happening in every industry. Chatbots are a phenomenal example. I mean, so we can look at businesses that are being created. They don't have a website. 
All they have is a Facebook messenger account with a chat box. And these are not like simple products. I mean, these are travel agencies booking hotels, booking flights. And the ability is now that it is a conversation and is an experience rather than a website you visit and peruse on the catalog. Uh, so we can start seeing this idea of conversational interfaces being the future. Um, and websites, I fully believe websites as we know them will be gone very soon. Um, will there still be catalogs? Yes, they'll always be catalogs. Even after websites came around, we still have catalogs. Um, so will some websites still look like catalogs? Yes, but will they be enabled by conversational interfaces and will they use conversation to help find what they want through those catalogs? The answer is resoundingly so, they already are. Right, and, but I mean, and websites are, are changing. They're not all kind of um, brand. They're, there are companies that are changing the way they use the website to create a different type of experience where it's not just, here's my brand and here's the products and stuff, but here's the, the experience I think, I think based on what I know about you, you want to see, right? So I guess that kind of adjusts somewhat. Yeah, so, it, so I think we're talking about different things, right? So the ability for a brand to use artificial intelligence to recreate a website to, to match the, in, the user's intent at that moment, that's one thing. I think that's what you're talking about, right? And, and the yeah. statistics is, right, in 2019, brands plan to increase their use of AI by 200. I think it's, I'm, I'm going to get the number wrong. It's like 247 or 237%, right? We ran that number. We ran that uh, research last year. So that's how much brands are, are looking to use artificial intelligence. But that's still an individual going to the website and then perusing through that website, even though AI is bringing those things up to them at the moment. What I'm talking about is a different type of interaction, right? So we can look at a, a bank like K2 Bank, right? Where the user doesn't go to the website, does not log into the payment portal to pay a bill. The user opens an app and says, I want to pay this bill, how much? And the action is completely taken and done. It, it's accomplishing the user's goal in a radically different way. Right? So even if the old website used AI to surface up bill pay faster, the conversational interface is a totally different idea and experience and outcome. Right? It's actually taking the actions and accomplishing the goal of the individual faster. I'm trying to imagine how that works exactly or how that, how that shifts. I guess, I guess it would change all, how the, all, all the underlying technology would work and it would be much more AI focused, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it essentially, if we think about the power of a graphical user interface, that's saying, all right, here are all your options, you navigate between them. Yeah. If, we, if we apply AI to that, it essentially says, we'll, we will resort these options based on the data that we know about you using AI to do that resorting. If we go to the next theory, the next idea of the conversation, we say, all right, let the conversation dictate what needs to happen. Can that be empowered with AI? It, it is AI. Um, however, it's using conversation to help that individual accomplish their goal rather than using a graphical interface to allow them to accomplish their goal. Is anyone doing that today? Like, is anyone experimenting with that type of technology today? Lots and lots and lots of people. Okay. I mean, we can just simply look at, at the idea of a chatbot and applying that to the website and replacing basic concepts such as forms. Yeah. Um, we just ran the research, right? I helped run the research with Drift and SurveyMonkey. And we found that only 11% of people actually want to fill out a form, right? The other, all those other people would much rather have a conversation with a chatbot to give the company the data that the company needs and to receive the, the white paper access or whatever they want in return. 
right? So conversations are much better ways to give the company data, uh, for the company to receive data, to create a better experience, and for the individual to get the outcome that they, they desire. A quick pause to say thank you to Ingenix, the Content Matters sponsor. Ingenix is a leading provider of agile content management solutions. You can check them out at Ingenix.com. One of the things that goes along with that that I read in the um, the state of the Salesforce state of marketing was that you know there's like 15 right now there's 15 data sources on average in 2019, but that um, it's saying that number could grow to like 45. Ha- I guess you I guess. I'm going to answer my own question. You need AI to kind of pull all of that data together to really get that view of the customer to create that better experience, right? Yeah, exactly so, right. And, and so in AI in various forms, right? That now AI is, is just a, a, an idea, like you could say a URL um, is an idea. But then when you start looking at the specific technologies, you, you find a wide range of technologies that connect all that data together, right? You've got uh, marketing automation platforms, which are connecting, uh, you know, website behavioral data to, uh, you know, email marketing data. You've got CDPs, which are connecting, you know, third-party data sets in real time to first-party data sets uh, on, on websites and backends. You've got all kinds, middle layers connecting things. Um, yeah, just connectivity of data is a massive problem that we're going to have to face. Right. And does that, does that mean that um, if you, I guess every marketer is crazy if they're not thinking AI and how to leverage it in some way. But if you don't have AI, this, this idea of an omni-channel marketing experience is just not possible, right? I wouldn't say it's not possible. I would just say it's not as efficient and it doesn't scale as large. Right. Um, so the idea of, of data and data is use, right? So it, having all the data in the world and having it completely connected only gives you a good data set. You still have to have some way of effectively leveraging that data set, right? So like it is not the silver bullet. It is a piece of a larger equation. Um, But that same idea is could you create things with smaller data sets? And the answer is resoundingly so, right? So, you know, there, there is a big question of, you know, yes, we need lots of data, but are we focused on the right kind of data, right? And so there's a whole push for a much smaller, more permission set of data. And saying, rather than us using third-party data, here's a really good example. If anyone on this podcast has Instagram, go into your Instagram and look at your ad targeting and look at what ads are being targeted to you based upon. And you will die laughing, right? So we played this game a couple, about a month or two ago on, uh, on LinkedIn. You can go find the post. And, you know, people are finding that, you know, Instagram believes that they love Urdu poetry, and these people have no connection to poetry, no connection to anything even remotely related to Urdu, anything in that genre, right? It's attaching things to us because of the AI that necessarily aren't correct. So, you know, there is also the argument to be made of just because we have big data and we have AI, that doesn't mean we have all the problems solved. You know, so there is a big notion and a big push that all brands must also gain permission data, which is the smaller data. Right. So we can ask specific questions to get really powerful insights. Um, and even if you just ask those questions, you don't have to have AI and you can still do really effective things. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll have to go look at my Instagram feed, see what it says. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess my next question would be kind of, it's 
this this human to human type of experiences changes marketing, but does it also mean that it changes service and sales and support because all of that kind of that kind of relationship is much more about just wanting to buy a product. It's using the product and working with the products or, or, you know, when you start talking to someone about that. So does that mean that we'll start to see those kind of silo departments come more closely together? 110%. Yeah. Um, so what we found, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm going to invoke Joseph Pine on this one. Um, so there's a book called The Experience Economy, which came out in 1999, which essentially proposes that the highest value that a firm or a business can produce is not a product. It's actually an experience. And so if we start with that understanding of the highest outcome, right, the highest value we can produce is an experience. And then we say, well, then what is the experience? The experience is not the product usage, right? The experience is the transformation of the individual into something greater. And if we then look at then how that experience happens across the entire customer journey, we realize that every moment must be connected to achieve that single experiential goal. And if we then say, well, all right, well, then what does that mean? Well, that means that marketing must transition from the brand that just fills the pipeline and gets more people in to the owner and sustainer of all experiences, right? If we believe that brand is the sum of all experiences, it would make sense that we do that. And so when we do that, now we have marketing sitting on top of product, on service, on support, not to dictate everything that they do but only to make sure that they have a cohesive and connected experience, right? That someone is trying to manage the entire customer journey to optimize it for experience, which means all of those interactions you just talked about, service, support, all of those become experiences that, you know, marketing helps create. We can look at really basic concepts such as onboarding, right? We all know the power of onboarding. Well, that is anytime a customer transitions or anytime anyone transitions, whether they are a non-blog subscriber and become a blog subscriber, we should onboard those people. Anytime somebody gets a new feature of the product, we obviously should onboard those people, right? Anytime somebody becomes a new customer, we should onboard those people. Anytime somebody joins our community, we should onboard those people. And so we can start to see these ideas of marketing tactics applied in every one of those use cases that you talked about, service, support, sales. Um, and so we can see like, you know, how marketing actually affects those things by focusing on experience. Does it mean the marketing team's going to get bigger? Because the, if you're trying to create those much more intimate experiences, that's going to require a lot more people, right? Yeah. So this is a really interesting question, right? So if we apply the traditional definition of marketing and we say it is a silo department that's only goal is to increase sales. Is that department larger in the future? Resoundingly so. But do we already have a lot of these people already in place and a lot of these theories already in place? The answer is yes, right? Like service and support already knows they need to be listening on social media. They need to be engaging. They need to have automated follow processes. They need to share that data with marketing so marketing can remove people from the marketing material if they're unhappy at the current point in time. Uh, so, you know, we've already seen a lot of these things. So there's a lot of this stuff already happening. It's just disjointed. Um, it needs to have a central ownership. And the money is probably already split across a lot of the different places that these things need to happen. So our idea of what is marketing will change. And we're going to start to see marketing as more of an experience. We're going to talk about marketing more as the experience department um, and what experience is and how it affects all aspects of business rather than thinking of it as just a silo and just one point 
um, and it being the largest point. But, but to, to that idea, I mean, Gartner came out and I believe it was 2014 said that, you know, the marketing technology, right? The investment in marketing technology is going to be the largest IT budget eclipsing the actual IT budget by 2020. Right? And so we should really understand that marketing is going to be the largest driver. And it's not just marketing, it's experience. It's going to be the largest driver of revenue and impact to revenue. Um, so and it affects all things. So we should assume that it's going to be one of the larger, if not largest department. Um, because when we start really breaking it down, like it, it all makes sense, right? Sales interactions, support interactions, services interactions. Maybe marketing becomes a smaller, more targeted team broken up across all those different plays. Depends on how the brand wants to do it. But yes, we need to have a larger idea of what marketing is and how it's executed. Um, and that means, like you say, a larger footprint. That's interesting. And maybe that this idea of some of, some of these brands and companies getting rid of their CMOs, maybe that's part of it, that they're starting to move marketing more across the company than just having one dedicated department. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, I think what most of us are seeing in the marketplace and what most brands that are progressive following these things like Publicis um, or J. Crew or Motorola, um, what they're doing is putting in place a chief experience officer. So the chief experience officer is sitting above an executive level, right? They are answering to the CEO, but they are able to hold sway over those departments below them. Right. So, you know, that then gives them the purview to make sure it is a connected experience from start to finish and gives them the directive of ensuring customer experience is looked at holistically. Um, so we're seeing that now, you know, underneath those people, how do those things play out? And, you know, to the point that you just made, totally, they'll probably have individual people inside departments executing these ideas. Um, you know, but let's also not forget, you know, CMO is a new role. You know, it came about with the idea of digital marketing before the CMO was the VP of sales and marketing. And we've had new titles after that. We've had the chief revenue officer. We've had the chief customer officer. We've had the chief innovation officer, right? So we're always constantly in flux. And I just think this yeah. experience officer is the next evolution. Um, and I think we've made a pretty solid case as to why. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if... Um we wanted to give, if you wanted to give marketers advice on what they should be doing today to plan for tomorrow, which, which this idea is not really tomorrow. It's something they should be thinking about now. What are three things that you would suggest they do? Oh, that's so hard. Um, it's so hard because everyone's in a different spot with a different problem. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's hard to just say, hey, do X, Y, and Z tactic. Here's what I'd say to do. One is it, when we look across the board, Right. And if, and if I go through all of the data that I've run, the number one key difference that makes a marketing organization a high performer versus an underperformer. And by the way, high performing marketing organizations are almost 10 times more likely to be significantly beating their direct competition. The one thing that they all have in common that no one else does is they've embraced a new idea of marketing. That's number one is you have to change the definition of what marketing is from the department who's responsible for creating messages and pushing messages, messages out into the marketplace to transition that definition to being the owner and sustainer of all experiences. Right? That's, the, that's the number one thing, is that mental model shift. Right. Right? Um, number two, I'd say, 
I'm blown away at the lack of engagement that marketers have with their audience on a regular basis. And then let me phrase it in a couple specific ways, right? So here's a question I love to ask people. And I think this usually kind of makes the, the point pretty clear. We all make content. We all make experiences. But when was the last time that we followed up with people that engaged with that content to ask them how we make that content better for the next person? All right, so think about this. I want, I want everyone listening to actually ask themselves this question. When was the last time you reached out to somebody that engaged with any of your content to ask them how you make it better for the next person, not to qualify them as a lead, hmm. right, but to ask them how to make this experience better? And the reality is less than 1% of marketers do this because we rely on data such as downloads, such as open, such as clicks, as our validation for was our idea good. But here's the actual research, right? So I researched this and I asked 400 buyers. I said, have you ever been disappointed with the content that you downloaded? 71% of those people said yes. But the fascinating part was I said, to what extent have you been disappointed? And 25% of those people said they would never engage with that brand ever again. So yes, there was a download, but it was a horrible experience. And if we're not following up with asking, was that even a good experience? We run the risk of just essentially driving more people away from our brand. Um, so we must think about ways of actually asking people and talking to people and stop relying on our own internal bias of what we think is good and right. Um, and go back to actually discussing these things with people on a regular and constant basis. Um, so I'd say that's number two. Um, and then number three, I'd say is, is challenge anything that you do. And, and actually, let's, let's give you some tactical advice. I'd say put in place a stretch budget. And a stretch budget is a really simple concept. It's the idea that you go to your executives ahead of time and you say, all right, if we believe marketing is an investment vehicle, if we find a marketing win that drives a significant return, we need to have a stretch budget where we can automatically dip into it and double down on that tactic, improve it out and expand it across the organization. That's the highest and fastest way that we grow, right? Find a great idea, double down on it, expand it out. So you go to your organization, you say, all right, let's set aside a preset budget that's only accessible if we hit a stretch goal and the stretch goal is your definition. 50% of goal, 50% of whatever, right? You, you have a 300 person uh, reg goal on a webinar and you hit 450, then you may open up a portion of that stretch budget to double down on the tactic or technique that you used to go above and beyond, right? And so the three keys are one, negotiating it up front, uh, making sure it's set aside and that there are definitions or defined parameters of how you access it. Uh, and then three, that you don't access the whole thing at one time, right? You just take a little bit to prove out the idea. And then what that'll do is that will give you the basis for testing. And that will then allow you to now say, rather than having to go back to your boss and say, hey, I listened to this dude, Matt Sweezy, on a podcast, and he said we should be doing this, you can test out the idea and go back to your organization and say, hey, we had a win. We doubled down on that win and we did X, Y, Z results. Now you have two data points to share as to why you should be given greater budget for that in the next go round. Those would be my three pieces of advice. I, I love those. And especially the following up with the customer because um, usually the follow up is you're told is sell, pitch something else to them. Don't ask them if they really liked it. Say, I hope you liked it, but here's something else you might like as well. Like, so I love the idea of saying, did you like it? What did you like about it? What could we do to make it better? Just as a writer, 
that just appeals to me big time. Yeah, and it, and it works into this whole theory, right? It works into human to human because now you're reaching out as one human to another, having a human conversation about how can we help other humans, right? Not how do I help me the brand? Um, how do we help other people, right? And, and so it's a very, and then it's a positive experience because you're reaching out to somebody and talking and you're asking their advice. You're saying, hey, I valued you. Tell me how I can be better. I, that's a powerful conversation to have with somebody. Um, you know, and then the insights that you get are radically powerful because we forget the amount of bias that we hold in our positions, right? There is so much bias, it's insane. There was a great research that came out in 2013 that was, um, it was the subscriber fans and followers research from Exact Target, right? And it stated that marketers are the first to adopt any new media channel before their customers. And we do that because we're always seeking out the big wins, right? That is bias. We're there because we think we need to be, even though our customers aren't, right? So we, we forget how much bias we have in our roles and we should remove that. Mm, absolutely. I, I, I love those. I think it's great. So you, you mentioned your new book that's coming out, uh, The Content Context Marketing Revolution. That's kind of going off of your, your, pod, your, your podcast series, right? Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of the same storylines. It's based on the same fundamental media theory um, that we've left an old media environment and the definition that we have of marketing was created for that old media environment. And all we're doing is iterating on an old idea, but we're in a new environment. So if we take a really solid look at what were the foundations, why were they created? And then what are the new media environments allow for? What are the new foundations? And then shift that idea of marketing to that new foundation will succeed in the new environment. What makes you want to write about this kind of stuff? Like, does it just, you're just, I guess, what makes you want to write about this kind of stuff? I mean, it is, this is so funny, right? So it's like, you know, a lot of people ask me questions like this. Like, how did you get started? Um, you know, what do you do? Why do you write these things? And just like, you know, Usain Bolt probably has like some kind of crazy freak adaptation or Secretariat had like some kind of freak you know, double size heart so we could run faster. I just kind of came out of the womb with a natural love for these things, right? Like I made my first flyers for my first business when I was 12. You know, you know, I, I, I find out about some little nerdy arcane thing and I double down on it and go deep and reading it. I mean, I've got three books from Norbert, uh, I don't want to butcher his name, but W-I-E-N-E-R. Um, you know, when he wrote about cybernetics, I mean, this is the guy that essentially wrote the basic theory for all of modern computing and, and these are like super nerdy, nuanceful things I just love, you know? So I, 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 don't know, I just, just love this stuff and people want to listen to it. So I guess that's why I keep doing it. Well, I think, I think people listen to it because it makes sense and it just gets us out of the everyday, this is what you should be doing, this is what you should be doing and makes you think about what you really need to do to move forward. Like, because we all, all brands and all marketers we tend to get stuck in the day to day, right? And how you have and, to do things. And, and that doesn't get you anywhere. It just gets you through the day kind of thing. And, and let's, let's be really clear. This is something that we have a problem with in our industry. I want us to really think about where thought leadership comes from. Now I work for a major brand, but let's think about how many major brands are selling us technology to be better at marketing and all of their thought leaders are only positioned to make that sale happen. Right. So if that's the scenario that we have to operate in and we have to filter through, we've got to filter through a lot of shit to actually figure out what we should be doing, not just having people sell us things. 
Right? And, and so, you know, we, we buy into a lot of ideas. I'm not trying to pitch any idea. I just want us to think about things critically because I like to think about things critically. And if people want to come along that journey, then we'll go on it together. Yep. Sounds great. So thank you, Matthew. This was really, really interesting, very enlightening. I really appreciate your talking with us today. Thanks for letting me rant. <laughs> no problem. You can rant with me any day because I just, I'm fascinated. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Ingenix.com. Um, there's a podcast section where you can see all the latest podcasts that we're doing. And um, check us out on Twitter at Ingenix. And we'll talk about the podcast and all the other interesting um, content that we developed there. Um, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.